0: Female founders like myself, I've seen again and again, we continue to apologise that we're not quite there yet and we've got a long way to go and we're sort of fearful to take up that space unless we're sort of 150% confident um, with where we're at today, as opposed to where we know we will be in the future.
1: Well, good day and welcome to the Humans of Agriculture podcast. We've blown through the 20 podcast barrier and last week was one of our biggest weeks of downloads which is bloody cool. So thanks a lot for tuning in. I'm your host, Ollie Lalieve, and welcome to episode 21. Today's guest is someone who's having an incredible and positive impact across agriculture and rural Australia. She's someone who is so honest and authentic, and what you see is what you get. To me, Ellie Landale is one of the most humble and highly intelligent people I've come across, and it's an absolute pleasure to speak with her today. In 2014, She created a database as she began to follow her dream of working hand-in-hand with her father to learn the ropes of the family farm. Little did she know, what she was cultivating would go on to fill one of the biggest resource deficits and play a crucial role in the modernisation of farming businesses across the country, providing them with a single platform for information and connecting them in a central place. Today we cover a bit of that story to date and I feel like we only just scraped the surface. We talk about living the side hustle game and building a business on the side of your day job. The paralysation with perfection that our society has created with such a fear of failure. I ask Ellie where she wants to have impact and what's happening now, but also where she wants to go. We chat about her recent board appointment to the Board of Rural Aid and the thought process she had, the moments of self-doubt, and then realising what it is that she brings to the table. We talk about male and female founders in Australia and I ask Ellie how she thinks she would have gone raising capital all those years ago. But probably my favourite part of this chat is where I where I ask Ellie the advice she would give to young women in year ten or eleven at school about entering the agriculture industry, but also about life more generally. Enjoy the chat. Well, welcome to the Humans of Ag podcast, Ellie. It's awesome to have you here.
0: Thanks so much, Ollie.
1: I want to. Um, start off we obviously had a bit of a chat there about uh what's been happening with you but you've just joined the board of rural aid and so I suppose that decision is it kind of the first board position you've picked up on the side or what's uh what's happening there
0: yeah no I'm really really honored I guess and humbled to be to be asked and and subsequently appointed uh, to the board it is my first official um board position I've had A few roles in industry advisory groups, which are more, I guess, informal um, reference groups and things to government, um, which which I've really enjoyed. I really enjoy that strategic and governance work. And so stepping onto the Board of Rural Aids, um, incredible and a a really beautiful time, I think, as well. I think um, Rural Aids, traditionally known as, um, well, yeah, I I as well knew it as being around hay um, and hay delivery during drought, and they do such a good job at... Are responding to crises um, in terms of fodder and water and financial and counselling support. But moving forward, um, they're looking at how they better empower and build sustainable rural communities. So something that I'm incredibly passionate about. So pretty, pretty excited about the next stage.
1: Yeah, and I suppose over the last few years there's been no shortage of challenges for rural communities. And like we were just looking at kind of what's happened over the last eighteen months and from fires to floods to coronavirus, like there's certainly been a lot of kind of challenges recently and and more coming up. So that's um gonna be really exciting being in that space.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And to your point, I think um yeah, building I guess a startup from a regional area I'm really interested in that innovation space and how we build industry in communities um, outside of ag and particularly the smaller communities. I think there's been a real push for investment from a government perspective in terms of regional hubs, but actually leaving, you know, often at the expense of smaller rural communities. So um, yeah, just as an aside, I think that's an interesting space to be in too. And it's interesting, I
1: suppose, like on, on what you're saying there about, and I'm thinking of it kind of as I'm trying to, nut out my own idea as well. And you think like the pull of the city, but have, it's business as usual, I suppose, for you during COVID, but has it been times of incredible isolation when you're starting up uh, the farm table in your own business?
0: Yeah, look, absolutely Oli. And particularly because I moved, um, to Daniloquin just as I was setting up. So I didn't have those existing networks in the town, but, on the flip side, incredibly lucky. There's some incredible. There is a really beautiful, innovative culture here, and there was a um, a co-working space here which assisted greatly in just um, networking and with different startups as well, um, just fortuitously, uh, which which helped. But in terms of building partnerships and relationships, it's difficult. Um, it's sort of a you know two and a half day trip to get to a you know, Sydney or Brisbane um, just in terms of getting a flight the night before, driving, you know, three or four hours to an airport, but I'll, I wouldn't change anything either. All
1: Yeah, for sure. Now you're lucky, kind of <laughs> all the space and get to the city when you need to. Exactly. And so I want to um, wind back the clock. I've done a little bit of Googling and researching about you and your career has taken you from here to America or Canada and back, but going back to, I suppose, before even university and, and going through high school, was mm-hmm. a career in ag ever on the cards?
0: Look, it probably wasn't, to be honest. And that's, I don't think anyone's fault but my own. I think I pretty narrowly defined um, the opportunities available to me. Um, when I was younger, I absolutely loved growing up on on the farm and coming home at holidays, but I probably didn't understand the f- farm from a business perspective um at all and also I guess in addition to that I was finishing school during the millennial drought so sort of 2004 and in the southern riverina where I grew up we probably weren't very well prepared for sustained years of drought Um, it's an incredibly highly stocked area high rainfall and I saw the impacts it had mentally um pretty prominently on my on my father and family so we were pretty softly pushed away at that stage from ag um it wasn't you not coming back just um they provided us opportunities to i guess broaden our lens and look outwards rather than inwards um in terms of our future and so when did
1: i suppose the light bulb moment come to you and that you thought oh, okay what? agriculture is actually really cool. There's a lot of opportunities for me at the moment in it and it's a path that I want to explore.
0: Yeah, it was it was literally a lightning bolt pivot moment for me. I was um, working in Melbourne at the time and, you know, I was working at a high rise, you know, overlooking the Yarra. It was a bit of a dream, you know, high sort of liquid income for a mid-20-year-old. It was a bit of a dream and, um, but I sort of saw the ladder in front of me and it just didn't inspire me. It's not an incredible ladder and an opportunity to, to go up, but it just wasn't me. Um, and it was actually my brother having a baby and becoming an aunt for the first time. I was like, what's, it was, yeah, it sounds a bit fluffy, but I was like, what's what's life about and what's important to me? And so during my work at um, at Pricewaterhouse, I started trying to get on as many ag jobs as possible. Um, and at that time, what nearly 10 years ago there, the big four weren't playing as much in the ag space as they are now and they're doing great work there now. Um, but for me, it wasn't probably enough to say share that desire um, of getting really, really into ag. I didn't know where I belonged in the supply chain, but I knew I wanted to learn more about, um, I guess, the industry that... I came from and afforded me so much opportunity. Um, yeah, so I actually, nearly that day, I searched the world for a course that would, I guess, build on my, my, my past, um, my uni and my experience, my work experience and my career to date, but also bring in that, um, agricultural element. So that actually took me to Canada, (laughs) um, to study. And I just took a leave of absence from PwC, they were really supportive of me, um, But I guess in that year away, I realised that if I was going to be in ag forever, I really wanted to understand um, farming from the source and that was going home.
1: Yeah, cool. And so I suppose just very quickly, I just wanted to, what uni course did you do?
0: So I did a a Master's of Food and Resource Economics at the University of British Columbia in Vancouver. And I chose that because it sort of worked at the nexus of economics, public policy and agribusiness, which all were three um, big interests of mine. And at that stage, um, there wasn't, I don't think, many master's courses here that were um, hex-based. So for me, from a financial perspective, it made sense. And particularly the dollar was kinder then um, in terms of um, heading supporting over Supporting the travel. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think um, the beauty in master's as well is that ne- networking element, um, which So much online delivery now is so fantastic. But for me, I really wanted to um, immerse myself completely in that learning opportunity as a more mature age student. So I headed off to BC, which is another big sort of resource economy like Australia.
1: Yeah, but an amazing and beautiful part of the world. Did you get up to Whistler?
0: Yeah, it was unreal. It was, um, we used to get the, we didn't have any money. There was another girl I was studying with from Brisbane. Um, She was doing biochemical engineering or something and we'd get the bus at you know 4am from (laughs) uni up and back again in the day Um, good fun (laughs) so were you
1: there for a summer or a winter
0: both so it was a 12-month coursework masters so sort of um, yes 15 months all up over there
1: god you're lucky i went over in 2015 and i was meant to go to whistler for it was going to be 10 days. So I used to, I grew up being a bit of a mountain biker yes. in Sydney. Anyway, yeah, we took, had five weeks off from the farm. And so I went to Whistler and we we're planning on going and seeing like the rest of Canada and the state and the states. And I ended up staying there for five weeks, made mates from kind of all over the world who, yeah, it's a pretty amazing place.
0: It's awesome, isn't it? It's
1: yeah. Stuff. And so while you were over that way, you linked up with Food Tank and was that under Danny Nierenberg there?
0: It was. um, It was a few years ago now, but she was doing incredible work um, looking at, I guess, issues in global food systems and supply chains. So the big, big ticket issues, I guess, impacting our industry um, and globally, often with a US lens. Um, So I actually moved to Chicago for three months to um, work with Food Tank, and I'm no um, I'm no writer or journo but I really enjoyed that content creation from that point of view. It was, um, it was amazing and I particularly focused on livestock because there was a little bit of a um, sort of an anti-livestock sentiment at that stage um, particularly, and even within Food Tank so I tried to I guess put um, some more positive literature out regarding um, the impact of livestock um, and importance of it as well.
1: And so, do you feel like you managed to make headway?
0: Hi, I'm Pia, horticulture and sugar analyst at Rabobank, and I'm here to share our latest insights on Australia's vegetable market. Did you know in 2023, Australia produced over $5.8 billion worth of vegetables, though only 4.3% of this was exported? Like many other countries, the Australian vegetable industry relies mostly on its domestic market. In fact, only 7% of global vegetables produced are traded between countries. But we are starting to see that trend change. Global trade is growing at a faster rate than production, and countries with low-cost production are seeing the highest growth rates. You can learn more about trends in the vegetable market on our latest Rabo Research Australia podcast, Mapping World Vegetable Trade or reach out to me via the Rabobank Australia social media channels to learn more.
1: Within Food Tank that maybe left a, a legacy, if you can say, as that a, or just, a, I suppose, a different way of thinking?
0: No, oh, look, oh, it was a very, very small, small part. Um, yeah. But I think they, yeah, no, I'm not sure. I, yeah, look, no, probably not. I think they had a, a huge readership um, that were focused on on plant um plant and yeah i'm not sure
1: <laughs> yeah and it still seems like I, I suppose with a few of the people that i've talked to there is a lot of hype and investment around the alternate proteins and the plant proteins and whatnot but yeah i suppose it comes back to like an us first them piece and like particularly i suppose australian ag we seem to get very defensive when mm-hmm. it comes to those conversations rather than embracing them um I- did it open your eyes and change your, your perspective personally?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think we other people a lot and we do it from an ag perspective, looking out, people do it looking in. Um, and we do it, I think, I don't know, it's not just an Australian thing, but we do it all the time. Even currently with Victoria going through their second wave, we're, we're othering them, you know, putting them in a little box to the side. Um, when, yeah, I just don't think we embrace um, diversity of thought and opinion very well um, and engage in proper debate um, in our industry but particularly yeah across all of society whether it's issues around um, meat and diet or gender whatever it is I just don't think we, we we do it very well at all
1: yeah no we're very quick to kind of divide aren't we rather than absolutely kind of looking at the the bigger picture of, of where we're trying to go so that's right. <laughs> um and so i suppose around and finishing up with the early career but you've so changing jobs you went from Waterhouse to yeah making the choice to go and do your masters you then did it a stint at home i think mm-hmm. off to parraway in orange and then ultimately back home but geez <coughs> that's good um authentic <laughs> <laughs> um were you ever worried when it came to changing jobs and jumping around as much as you did I suppose
0: yeah absolutely um particularly I guess that's um probably seen as a negative on on our generation that that moving around um but I guess it's also a change in in how work's viewed I think rather than a career ladder it's more that career jungle gym now um and I, that sort of resonates with me really strongly i think that um committing to something for three or four years or a project or a leap or a stage is incredibly important and incredibly focused within that that limit rather than a a time put on it um, if that makes sense Um, it's you know we naturally do our best work in short segments so each of those tour of duties might not be at a, a different workplace. But for me, it doesn't denote a lack of loyalty, but actually a high level of commitment to tasks, more task orientated. That's all, all around it, that way of saying, um, yeah, I think it's a really positive concept in terms of seeing your career in stages rather than one big journey um, along the same path.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. it's um interesting thinking of thinking of it as a task base because from my perspective like i have jumped around a little bit but i think like if anything it's probably one of the biggest strengths i have is that you work under different people you see different things um yeah and it gives you perspective and so i suppose then coming across to the farm table and starting your own business and and platform there was what was the rationale behind doing that initially and, and were there was it from on-the-job learnings that you'd picked up at these various jobs?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I was um, back at home all on farm and, you know, super, super committed to being an absolute sponge with Dad um, because I feel like I was sort of late 20s going back on farm and had missed, I had other, you know, other beautiful experiences, but I hadn't had that experience of a lot of my peers working um, with other producers or as a dealer or doing even an ag science degree. So I wanted to, I guess, immerse myself in the industry at a rapid rate and understand and consume content and information to help me, I guess, in that journey. Um, And at that stage, sort of, what was it, six, seven years ago, there wasn't, um, I guess the internet didn't do a really great, job of um bringing information together and enabling learning online um self-directed learning and which i think you know is super key because the nature of a farm business you can't step out of it or travel all the time to engage in in ongoing learning so that self-directed piece is really important so that sort of that was the genesis of farm table that was sort of my why i was um committed to this industry and learning, um, particularly around farm business and farm production. But, um, yeah, the big mighty beast of the internet, um, didn't facilitate that learning that I wanted.
1: And how, so it started as just a spreadsheet, literally for you, just trying to build your knowledge and resource bases, but how much of that has flowed through to the platform and resource that it is now?
0: Yeah. Surprisingly, the structure, particularly of the Ag Library, um, hasn't changed a lot. Uh, Yeah, when I first started, I'd just have a huge spreadsheet with tabs, you know, around um, they might be production calculators or um, land research on on different fodder crops and and just would have a huge list of things. Um, It's obviously a little bit more sophisticated now with our toolkits within the Ag Library, but the same concept. It's bringing together really useful and practical content from across the country and across the globe um, into one space um, for a producer to find easily. You know, there was great um, people and human resources tools within, say, Dairy Australia or UTAS, but as a producer in New South Wales that isn't, you know, beef that is beef and sheep, how would I have potentially found them um without this so it's sort of removing that complexity of finding things um, bringing them to the to the producer a little bit more easily and on
1: I suppose the complexity piece when it came like back ah, so you're working on the farm table while managing a professional career and just doing it after hours on and on weekends like
0: mm-hmm.
1: how did you go at that stage and did you find yourself constantly changing like yeah you Direction or was it fairly clear from day one where you wanted to go?
0: Oh yeah, no, um, definitely issues with that. I had a vision that, well, I knew that there was a problem in terms of how information flowed through our industry to within the farm gate. But how could I, as one person, one producer, start trying to solve it in some small part? Um, yeah, the nature of so I was working at Caraway at the time and the my boss was incredibly understanding I guess sort of seven till seven was power away and then any time around that um including weekends and stuff I dedicated pretty um for about two years to building farm table which people say that you need to do the side hustle um for a certain amount amount of time to actually prove to yourself that you're passionate enough about it to to get it off the ground but I take a bit of issue with that because because it only gets sort of snippets of your brain on and off and I think sometimes you can lack that real strategy and, and, and vision and putting that into play and I definitely did. It was growing in all different ways organically um, but didn't have a clear purpose um, and because of that probably wasn't fulfilling or, or, or helping to solve that problem very well. So until I stepped out of that salaried position um, and took really three or four months again to start again and, and understand that why, what was the problem and, and how can something start solving it um, was when farm table really started, I guess, providing value to people.
1: And that's a massive leap of faith, isn't it? Oh, yeah. you know, when it comes to, Stepping out of your, your position and going and, yeah, like you've got to make it work nearly, don't you? And, and did you put like excessive pressure on yourself during that time?
0: Oh, a huge amount, particularly because our, our society has such a fear of failure. Um, yeah. Which, and that self-sabotage as well, I think that, which is crazy because particularly ag industry is built on trial and error. Um, You know, we don't get anywhere without trying something and pivoting and going again. But when we go out on on our own, um, we seem to just have this absolute, I think, paralysation with perfection. Um, Yeah, so accepting, I guess, really turning the fear of failure into one of more fear of regret and um, accepting a level of trial and error um, into things is really important for me. And were you on the
1: the journey alone? Like you'd mentioned Paraway was supportive of it, but did you, were you constantly bouncing ideas off various people? And I suppose, how are you validating kind of this business idea to?
0: Yeah, Uh, in a few different ways. So when, um farm table before that point, you know, it was nearly two three year journey of um, it was a really um, average self-built website at that stage um, just sort of testing the concept <laughs> and um, playing after hours. Yeah, yeah just playing. <laughs> and the feedback was was fantastic. Uh, but also the the emails I was getting from producers and showed to me that I probably this what I'd built wasn't servicing the need well enough I'd get emails every day you know asking about you know I'm a producer in the western districts Um, I run this many sheep I'm looking at um, farm management software um, that does ABCDE looking to spend this much what can you recommend or um, you know I'm in the Darling Downs I'm looking at infrastructure around irrigation is there funding available for me um the questions were just so diverse um and google wasn't helping them and farm table wasn't as well at that either at that stage so but i it wasn't very economical or efficient for me to responding to each of those individual needs so that those emails um and feedback during that start of farm table were really key um and then just conversations obviously and 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 market research and and um a bit of trial and error as well
1: and so is that i suppose that piece of trying to be everything to everyone and a central resource is that where you kind of just realize that it can't be your content as such that it literally you're just creating this portal which is pointing people in the right direction and connecting dots is that kind of
0: yeah as you started right. to
1: understand the breadth
0: yeah, that's right. All because I had to really think hard about how I could add value to this problem, or, or you know, a small play a small part in improving how information is distributed. And for me, that wasn't being a content creator. It was actually connecting the dots to save producers' time and 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 make the web, which will be, I think, an increasingly important tool in our businesses, less overwhelming. So that collaborative um, connector piece was something I knew. I could, you know, start hoping to make a difference on.
1: Yeah, cool. That's um, interesting. And so a couple of years ago, you you pivoted before Sid, I think, or or you, it was kind of you hit this point a few years ago where it was like family, growing the business, you, you got to a bit of a crossroads. And what path did you kind of take from mm. there? Because obviously the opportunity for this, is massive and, and how many, like you've got something like 10,000 farmers on the platform. Is that right?
0: Yeah, not, not quite probably um, more close to seven and a half thousand. So um, we'll round, it up. <laughs> round it up. Thank you. That sounds great. Um, yeah. Look, I made that decision probably two years ago to just, I'm well, probably three years ago to go hell into this properly and, and see what we could build. Um, the aim was, um, so the farm business has, has been the key goal in the end and obviously having a family and I really hope to go um, go at it and, and build something. So by the time we had our baby um, that, you know, I'd either, either proven the model or have a self-sustaining revenue model to actually um, be able to, to get help and help to run it. Um, and then, ideally pivot back out into farming um because that's where the i guess the long-term passion and that's where i want my legacy to be
1: yeah and so at the moment with have you ticked off that that goal of getting other people to help you run it or is this <laughs> this <laughs> weekly content and the breadth, the absolute mass of it coming yeah the-
0: it's it's it, it, it's it's huge old and um it's become a bit of a beast um and it came from a It's funny, I took my economist hat off in the beginning and it was a bit of a labour of love and a hobby that then turned into a business and that's um, the biggest learning for me is create a saleable asset from the start and that might not mean you'll ever sell it but the fact that it is, um, you know, a really sound business model, um, operating procedures, everything's sort of hunky-dory to start Um, and... Yeah, I'd do it all again, very differently, I think, from my learnings, and 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 go probably raise capital and, and do it properly um, from the beginning. I've got a heap of learnings um, that I'd love to to put into practice. Um, but like probably you know, and and listeners know that the journey of I guess entrepreneurship and startup business it it takes a toll. Like farming, like running a farm business, and the thought of I guess starting starting again is scary is scary as well um probably didn't answer your question very well but it's a constant flux of um understanding what success looks like as well
1: and so i suppose in that vein and you you'd mentioned it just before around your legacy has it has it ticked a box that that you think like at this point in time like we've built it to where it is and and now like does it come back to that funding piece of yeah where to next and and how you make uh, this kind of bigger more usable get it in front of more farmers etc
0: yeah that's right absolutely um yeah hit the nail on the head oh it's it's um a constant constant battle i guess to i'm so proud of what's been built but to ensure it's sustainable, um, that revenue and operating model is incredibly important, um, which was probably an afterthought. And it's a question I get nearly every day from people. They're like, how do you keep this going? Um, and it was done on such a tiny, tiny budget um, that everything's been organic and slow. Um, and it's I can't believe the incredible reach we've got just because it is, I think, such a genuine and useful platform and um, comes from a really good place. But... Um, I think probably as the founder, I'm holding it back now, particularly um, being a mum now and juggling that and and wanting to be more involved in our farming businesses. Um, I think what's been created is is fantastic, but it nearly needs to move on um, and get the investment and new insight brains into it um and that's sort of letting the baby go a little bit which i think is also very healthy
1: yeah doing uh as you probably featured a lot of times on the platform is around succession and so you mentioned just that and i suppose it's going to be quite a pointed question but you'd mentioned like with starting up the business and back in the day like you would have gone for funding and that piece Mm -hmm. but do you feel back five or so years ago that being a female founder in agriculture, creating a farm platform, like, what do you think, yeah, how, how do you think you would have got on?
0: Yeah, I, I actually don't know, but particularly because it wasn't a sexy sort of ag tech solution. It was more of a service provision um, and, a, and a sharing sort of collaborative network of information. So it wasn't as easy to define and sell, I guess. Um, but also there wasn't probably as much um, funding in the space either. Um, so, uh, and also building something, um, you know, from the farm office, you, you, you don't have probably the confidence to go, oh, I can actually sell this and, and do something really amazing. Um, being... I don't know if this is a gender thing but often we um we shrink ourselves when we're in situations we're not completely prepared or feel confident for look i have seen male founders speak you know incredibly confidently about the future impact of their business and they're able to sell this grand notion um of where they will be without having something concrete yet for it which is incredibly important but Female founders like myself i've seen again and again we continue to apologize that our, we're not quite there yet and we've got a long way to go and we're sort of fearful to take up that space unless we 're sort of one hundred and fifty percent confident um, with where we're at today as opposed to where we know we will be in the future um, and and maybe that's one of the reasons I didn't do it but also um, a lot of women are founders there's a huge um, investment gaps in in terms of gender for startups. Um, I think I spoke to uh, UNE graduates last year and talked to them about this, that um, according to research, and this is probably a little bit out of date now, that investments in companies that are founded or co-founded by women average just over $900,000, which is probably half, it's less than half the average um, invested in, companies founded by male entrepreneurs, which is around $2.1 which is interesting because the research also showed that um, despite this disparity, um, startups founded by women actually performed better and generated 10% more. Um, Yeah, wow. So for every dollar of funding, these startups generated sort of $0.78, whereas males were sort of $0.31. So yeah, it points to interesting questions, not only... For me to look inward about confidence, um, but also that why um, female-founded startups aren't raising capital in the first place, or even choosing to raise capital as a funding mechanism.
1: Yeah, and it's interesting because I was just looking at. Um, so I've done this is well, this will be podcast twenty-one or thereabouts, but I've done nine, recorded nineteen podcasts to date, and I was looking mm-hmm. back through the list of different people I've talked to. Um, from the chefs, like yeah, chef Mark LeBroy, his male. Then I started going through the list and I was like, where are the really innovative businesses with young people coming through the ranks and who have I talked to so far? And out of say the 20 odd conversations, I've done five or six kind of with some really switched on entrepreneurs who are under 35 um <laughs> and leading their field. And I think, or under 35 all five of them are female. And I was looking at it and I was like, shit, like where actually are the guys in this space, like in this ag startup space that are really kind of thinking outside the box, pushing it. And, it, and I don't know, like, the, it's something that I just need to think about more and more. But at the moment, if I'm looking at the movers and shakers of industry and, and the people that are really propelling us forward, it's people like you, it's people like Julie Hirsch, who I spoke to, um, who's running this fair trade tea business and mm. yeah there's so many women doing amazing things in the space that's really inspiring and um, spurs me on so.
0: Oh it's great to hear.
1: Yeah no there's um, there's heaps and, and I, was, so I suppose going back to the, the uni days or even mm. pre that with school like if you're up in front of an audience now of year 10 year 11 school students or even university students like, what would be your message to them around like the opportunities for females or, or yeah for females in agriculture?
0: Um, I'd be it'd be pretty pretty straight that um, nothing can um, can stop you really, but be wary that. Um, my, well, my journey, and this is, might not be specific to everyone, but I didn't feel a um, disparity really or a chasm until I was about five years into my working career. Um, so my male peers and I started on the same graduate salary, but things started changing a little for, for me in my mid-20s. The language used, I guess, the salaries offered um, and sort of the expectations placed were... Um, I started becoming more aware of gender, which um, I think we're doing a pretty good job at schools and unis because um, I didn't see being a female as any sort of, um, that it could be an issue in terms of moving forward. Um, but it did and it does around um, sort of, I guess, your childbearing years um, and, and it shouldn't and not every company, um, it's not, discouraging or disparaging but but I absolutely felt it um and but in terms of particularly to to women and to girls looking um to to to, I guess take up space and forge their path is exactly that take up space um and embrace both the feminine and masculine parts of your personality I just think Um, too often women are are put into sort of two, two types or two, two boxes, you know, or either sort of feminine. um, And with that comes, you know, sentiments of emotional or incompetence or, um, you know, weak. But then on the other side, if we, if we're too, if we're put in the masculine box, we're often too bossy, um, but we're competent. So And we typecast, I think, any female leader. We do it ourselves as women. Um, So I think we, I don't think women should be told it's a zero-sum game, I guess, between individuality and femininity with assertiveness um, and embrace all sides of your personality um, because that's what makes you. And I found that being in positions of, you know, being the only female at the table, um, there is such richness in diversity um, and without women in roles and in companies and in businesses and in leadership, um, we don't have that um, diversity of thought and opinion that we need um, to to project our industry forward. Um, That's on and on all and I just, I I get, I'm very passionate about it. (laughs) I think, yeah, enabling women to, to feel, um, that they can take up space, in our know, industry is really important, um, without being typecast as, as bossy. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. No, definitely. With the boards that you're on or joining the board of Rural Aid now, like how, how comfortable are you with yourself? Like that? Yeah. W- when you go through those, periods of self doubt or whatever it may be like in, in actually accepting the position.
0: Mm, oh, I had, I had a huge amount of self doubt um, being appointed to this board because at the start I was compared to, you know, the, the current board members, I couldn't believe why they would be, be interested in having someone like me, you know, I didn't have 20, 30, 40 years of experience um, and the depth Um, Of expertise in in particular areas so I was second guessing myself but with the biggest realisation I've had is your worth your worthiness and your value at a point in time so if I was put on the board in 30 years I would bring a completely different perspective and, and level of experience but that's not what they're looking for now I think valuing taking your age, your gender, everything out of the equation, what do you bring um, your unique set of skills and and, and where you come from um, and that the value in that, um, again coming back to the value in diversity, in age as well and experience. um,
1: Yeah, absolutely. No, it is that, exactly what you're saying about the importance of females, it's the exact same thing when it comes to age isn't it, and just having that the different way of thinking and the different approaches and yeah if you want to create a, an organization that is impactful across the board and across the community you need that representation that that thinking
0: absolutely and even around culture we don't do very well at in ag i think we're doing better and better around um age and gender diversity but there's still some big gaps
1: so I suppose on on that front, like you've mentioned just how passionate you are about rural Australia and getting back on the farm business and kind of rolling your sleeves up on that front. But where do you kind of see your impact being, because you're still so young, but um, like, yeah, wh- where do you s- see yourself having impact or or maybe where would you like to have an impact?
0: I think since... Um Getting married and, and having a baby, that's shifted a little bit. Um, so Farm Table, I guess, originally was responding to an industry need um, and sort of more public good, which I'm really proud of. Um, but I think having baby and building a family, it's, I think, my, not priority, but my what I want to leave behind and that legacy has shifted a little bit. Um, I think... Um, having input at an industry level and have making impact more positively for the industry through farm table, but also at a community level and a regional Australia level as well as super important to me and will continue to be so, but balancing that better with more, I guess, sort of personal and inward looking legacies um, for me and, and, and that's the farm all that's, that's my family. Um, that's incredibly important. And, building um, and growing that farm business with my husband. Um, that's a dream. Uh, and I'm really excited about what the future holds. Um, it's just that balance and getting that right has been a challenge and I imagine it will continue to be a challenge.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. And so one question, like I asked around um, advice to uni students and whatnot, but like there's – and. Yeah, I don't think I'm alone in thinking this, but there's a, like a really unique time, I, I think, between your late 20s and maybe early 30s where you kind of have a, a free reign of like, mm-hmm. if you want to do something, there's this window of opportunity that you kind of don't have when you're early in your career. And then you kind of come to this position. But like, in terms of people getting out and either having a crack at doing their own business or, um, Changing careers and trying something different, like that piece where where it won't have it'll either impact your career for the better, but it probably won't actually impact it negatively mm-hmm. in that window. Like, yeah, do you have advice and learnings from from what you've done there? Or
0: yeah, I, exactly what you said. Um, I think we too often um, think about. Hard choices as being sort of that source of like agony and dread, um, making decisions, but we never really seem to regret the decisions we make. And that's a really big generalization. But we agonize about decisions when actually um, having options and making a choice are actually really precious opportunities for us. Um, I think, (laughs) you know, making pivots or making decisions or moving in a different way are actually pretty. special about the human condition um because it's in those in that space of actually pivoting and I don't think it there's only there's only a certain section of your career that you can pivot. I think you can continue to but um it, it's a really powerful time I think um for everyone decision making can be tough and we definitely live in a world of this decision choice overload um which can be a curse but seeing it more as an opportunity um, uh, I think without I guess seeing options and taking moves and pivots, we' just we just drift and I don't think any of us want to just be a drifter through life.
1: Yeah, well, time's fairly precious. I think we' we're, we're all realizing that now <laughs> like just like we're four months living inside our houses really in Victoria yeah. like yeah, it's um, a lot of time, a lot of hours spent doing or I suppose just going through the motions, which is. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But don't you reckon it's been a really special time in terms of recentering purpose and family and and priorities, and because there hasn't been that excuse of I'm too busy or too much on it's actually yeah.
1: Yeah, I actually I've loved it.
0: <laughs> yeah, same. Which sounds awful. Um, but we are very privileged in in certain ways in being in the country particularly, but um, and we haven't been infected from a health point of view yet, but um it's been a really beautiful time to actually get back to basics.
1: Yeah and I think like how people keep talking about like the appreciation they've got for the little things or
0: like Mm -hmm. not waking
1: up every Sunday with a hangover or whatever it is. But (laughs) I just really hope that and this is the thing that I'm kind of stewing on spending so much time kind of asking myself, but like are businesses and is society actually going to change or are we just going to default Mm. back to this? economics first mindset and like for me i'm sick of like saying it myself but like the the systems we've created in the past have not worked and the fact that yeah the world has stopped is evident of that but will we change
0: i don't know i'm thinking about that constantly as well (laughs) because it's so good to see you know small things like more spending on infrastructure and longer term investment we're seeing that already but I keep thinking of that analogy I remember when I'd be on school camp and you'd be five days in and you'd be like all I want is warm toast and a warm bed and geez I'm going to appreciate them so much when I get back um back home and then I remember like pinching myself two days after school camp and I'd be like I'm not even appreciating a warm bed you know you go back to what you know so quickly and I really hope you know it's a really silly example but
1: no, it's a perfect example because, uh, yeah, I hadn't even thought of it in that light. We're it's so um... quick
0: to forget. Um, and we make promises to ourselves in times of despair or flux. And then once things settle, we don't ever, well, we we often tend to forget.
1: Yeah. And it's you need to, I suppose, for us, like you need to keep having the conversation and talking about it, but looking at, like, what are the opportunities that, it has presented and particularly around ag and food, like, geez, it's exciting. You look at just how important the industry is.
0: Absolutely. And, but I think it's important to start that change action during times like this. And I think we've learned that through drought. Um, There's often drought task forces and reports and research done um, during times of drought, but we come out of it and little is done. So actually, taking steps to action, not just idea generation during those times is really important to ensure there's lasting change, I guess, and there's momentum that keeps going when things get back to normal.
1: Yeah. No, definitely you've (laughs) given me a few notes there that I'll write up and follow myself, I think. Really that implementation piece. Well, I think, um, yeah, we've covered a whole bunch of different things. So it's been awesome chatting with you.
0: Yeah, you too, Ol. It's always a pleasure speaking to you. I think, um, yeah, industry's very, very lucky to have your, I guess, brain and soul working for it. Um, No, well done on everything you're doing and I love hearing about your, um, yeah, every sort of which way you're going and and helping and um, yeah, no, bloody great work.
1: (laughs) Oh, thank you. I'm gonna have to come clean with you guys. And let you know, I know it's not good for my download count, but I've actually listened back to this podcast three times because there's little snippets of gold in there that Ellie shares. Thanks again for joining us today. For the next week, look after yourselves. Stay safe, stay sane. And if there's anything we can do or any conversations that you want to have, please reach out. See you next week.